You know, we get to Christmas Eve here this morning, and we celebrate that hope is on the way. And we, and we talk about a story that on surface is really almost crazy. And it really would take the, the faith of a child to grasp what we're talking about today. And that's why I love that Christmas is so much about children. My, my four-year-old grandson, George, was going to his church the other day, and they were having a birthday party for Jesus to celebrate Christmas. And so before they went, he's all excited about it, and uh, he's asking his dad, Ben, um, is God going to give Jesus a gift like maybe some angels? And uh, finally Ben says, well, well, George, Jesus, is it is his birthday, but he's not actually going to be there. Uh, but the Holy Spirit's going to be there, and be there in your heart, so everything's going to be okay. And so George said, well, is Noah going to be there? <laughs> How about Moses? No, no, it's, it's a birthday party for Jesus, but the Holy Spirit's going to be there. And so finally they get to the church, and they're all sitting on these pews, and George is sitting right by his friend Isaac, and he taps, and he said, now Isaac, i got to tell you, this is a birthday party for Jesus, but he's not coming. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit's coming. Isaac's mother looked at Ben and Lindsay like, y'all are the most spiritual people on the face of the earth. <laughs> so it, it takes a childlike faith to believe that he's come, that he's come as a baby, that he's come to a virgin. And, and today, we're going to look very closely at this story. And I want you to listen closely to the details of this story. Because when Luke writes his gospel, he gives more details than anybody else. And what he's trying, and every detail communicates. So I've asked Eli more if he would come up, and Eli would, would read Scripture for us. If you have your Bible, Luke chapter 2. Come on up here, Eli. Eli's one of our star blue flames, and he's going to read Luke 2, verses 1 through 18 for us. I'll be reading from Luke 2, 1 through 18. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. But Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, <coughs> to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to, and they were expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths placed them in a manger because there was no room available for them. And there were some shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch of their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of God shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company, heavenly host, appeared with the angel, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary, Joseph, and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told, what had told, been told them about this child. 
and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. Thank you, Eli. That's really quite a quite a reading there, and it's quite a quite a story if you think about it. And, and what I want you to see this morning, just real quickly, is that everything in that communicate everything in that story communicates something. Uh, we're told that ninety percent of communication is nonverbal. In other words, it's it's not the words that you say. I mean, it's, if it's your anniversary night, you could go do the same things. You could go to the same restaurant, the same movie, uh, say the same words, but it would mean more to your wife if you have planned that all out instead of getting in the car and going, where are we going? It, it communicates something. You know, if, if you're wanting to thank someone for something, you can send them an email, but even in today's world, a handwritten note would mean more. If you come into my house and you knock on my door, I tell you to come in, I can say the same words. But if I stay seated in my chair and don't greet you, I've communicated something far different than if I get up and come to the door and give you a hug. Everything communicates. I've been reading a book recently called Reclaiming Conversation, and it's about what social media has done to us. And that one of the problems with young people growing up who only communicate by text is that they, they don't get facial expression. They, they can't read if the body language is leaning forward, leaning backwards, or the arms are crossed. They miss out on a great deal, 90% of communication that way. And I want you to know, when we come to the birth story of Jesus, even the smallest detail communicates a great deal. And today, the very detail that we're going to use is this manger. And I'm going to have my buddy George, who I just talked about, if George would bring baby Jesus up and put him in the manger. And uh, we're going to talk about this manger and what it means. Can y'all welcome George to stage? Thank you, George. It's all about the babies, isn't it? <laughs> you see, what a manger was... And you've got to get this point. A major was simply a feeding trough. And, and guys, it says something. In fact, the Gospel of Luke is the only gospel that uses this word manger. It uses it four times. One time's in Luke 13, verse 15, where your version would say it's a stall. The other three times are in the birth story we just heard in Luke chapter 2. First of all, in verse 7, about the birth of Jesus, Luke 2, verse 7. Second of all, he tells this to the shepherds that this baby is going to be born in a manger. And then when the shepherds get there in verse 16, they see that this baby is in a manger. You say, buddy, what is the big deal? What is the manger's message? I want you to get that with me this morning. Number one, the manger was dirty. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was born in a barn and laid in a manger. His first bed was not a royal crib. It was a common corn crib. It's not the place where you would expect God to arrive on the earth. I mean, if you and I were to write a book about God coming to the earth, there is no way this would have been a part of the story. One reason I believe so much in Jesus is that no man could have thought of the story. We don't have God coming in a common feeding trough. You know what the word meant in, in Latin, manger? It meant to eat. It, it, it's just a place where animals have eaten and they have slobbered. It's a feeding trough for slobbering animals. And that's where God arrives. The manger was dirty. 
Second, the manger was planned. You might think looking at this story, it's just a fluke or it was simply a mistake. That's not what God really thought. Or it's just a random circumstance that they got to Bethlehem and all the inns were full. You see, we we had a problem here in that 700 years before Jesus came, the prophet Micah said in chapter 5, verse 2, that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. But we have a curveball thrown in the story because Joseph and Mary don't live in Bethlehem. They live in Nazareth. And so somehow God's got to make this happen. He's got to get them to the right place at the exact right time. Now, if you listen closely to our reading, how does God do this? God manipulates the most powerful nation and the most powerful king on the earth to require an empire-wide census where people are asked to go back to their city of origin to register. And so Joseph and Mary have to go back to Joseph's hometown of Bethlehem, the city of David, where all the prophets have said, the Christ will be born. Now think about this for a minute for me. It's ludicrous to think that God would go to all of that trouble to move this baby from Nazareth to Bethlehem, that God would coordinate an entire empire for a census for this one purpose, and that God could not coordinate an inn room to be open for Jesus. And so I'm telling you this morning, I believe this was planned. God could have made a room available. And we've all been to those Christmas plays, you know, where the, the little kid has to be the innkeeper. And uh, he has very few lines to memorize. No room in the inn, no room in the inn, no room in the inn. Well, one church a few years ago, there's a little boy who had memorized those lines. And finally, Joseph and Mary show up at the inn. And she's fully pregnant. And they ask and beg for a room. And the little boy in the middle of the play, his heart's touched. He says, you can have my room. And it messed up the entire play. How do you recover from that? Well, listen to me. If you take Jesus out of this slobbering, this slobbered on feeding trough, you have messed up the story. It's where God intended Jesus to come. Planning a bed for his son would have been a whole lot easier than planning a worldwide census. Number three, the manger was a sign. It was a sign. Luke 11, verse 12. Luke 12, Luke 2, verse 11 and 12. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Okay, so the shepherds are told, you're going to know this is the Messiah when you find this baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Or as the older version would say, swaddling clothes. Now listen, guys. Swaddling clothes is no sign. Every baby on the earth will be wrapped in swaddling clothes. The sign is the manger. How many children do you think when Jesus were born was born were actually in a feeding trough? And so when they get there, just like the prophet has said, they understand because of this trough that Jesus is the Savior, He's the Rescuer, He is the Messiah, He is the Christ, you understand this, guys. Christ is not Jesus' last name. His name is not Jesus Christ. Christ means he's Jesus, the Messiah. And they're going to find the Lord. And the sign is that he's going to be lame in a manger. Number four, the manger was glorious. No sooner had they found Jesus, 
the King of kings, the Lord of lords, in this manger, then the praise band of heaven broke out. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. It's a moment of glory. Why is this glorious? It looks dirty. It's glorious because it tells us how far our God is willing to come to rescue us. It tells us who God is. God is willing to come low enough to touch us even in a feeding trough. And so just like the angels, we cannot help but break out in praise today. What a God, what a Savior. You know, you know some people are uncomfortable with the lowliness of Jesus. They're uncomfortable with the feeding trough. They're uncomfortable with the cross because that is not very, we would say today, presidential. That doesn't represent the monarchy the way it should. But my friends, the, the good news of hope to you and I is that Jesus is willing to humble himself to this point so that he can reach us. The reason this is glorious is because if Jesus comes as a majestic king who's far above us, looking down his nose at us, that gives us no hope. But if Jesus comes in the middle of dirt, in the middle of the mess of this world, in the middle of the hurt and the pain of your life, if he's right there with you, he's with you. And let me say to you this morning, don't you ever get over this. My friends, I don't think I, the, the birth story has meant enough to me through the years. My, my friends, the more I think about that this month, this is a mind-blowing story. Don't ever get over that God is willing to come in the body of a teenage girl to be shrunk down to a fetus, to be born in the middle of a barn, and to be laid in a feeding trough. It's glorious. It's glorious. And then another point here, the manger was an example It said in verse 14, there will be peace on whom his favor rests. Some translations, peace on whom he is pleased. The only time that word pleased is used anywhere else in the New Testament is talking about people who come to Jesus not as the proud, not as the wise, not as the learned. The people who please God Come to Jesus as a child. That's why George would think when we show up at the birthday party, Jesus is going to be there. And that's why it's not a stretch for your children to believe it actually was a virgin birth. And that's why they believe much quicker than us because they come with the humility that says, you know what, I believe, I accept this story. And so I say to you today, the way he came to us was an example of the way that we come to him. He came to us as humble and lowly as possible. And when you get over yourself and I get over myself and we let go of our pride, that's when we can go to him. We don't come as arrogant, pride, self-possessed, self-assured people. We come as humble people who can't help but react to a humble God. You see, hope has arrived. Hope has arrived. 
We started this message series just a few weeks ago with this definition of hope. I'd like you to see it again. Hope is a vision for better days that changes us in the present based on what God has done in the past. It's a vision of what is to come. We celebrate not just the first coming of Jesus, but the second coming of Jesus. But it it changes us in the present because we have evidence of what he has done in the past. Let Let me say this to you today before you fly through Christmas Eve and into Christmas morning in just a few moments. Hope has arrived, and it it changes you even today. Let me give you two ways that it could change you today, understanding that Jesus was born in a manger. First of all, he comes to you. Hebrews 2.18, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to come to those who are being tempted. You understand, Jesus' goal is, was for Jesus to have understanding of you in your life. Catch this. From the cradle to the grave. We talk about cradle-to-grave insurance. My friends, spiritually, you've got cradle-to-grave insurance that says, here's what Jesus does. He is still willing to come into your mess. When you hurt, he hurts because he's been there. He understands what it's like to suffer. So today, if you you come and you approach Christmas and everybody else's joy is magnified and your sorrow is magnified, let me know to you that this Christmas is going to be every bit as meaningful to you as it is to any of the rest of us. Because you have the assurance because of the way he came that he is still coming. We sing that wonderful song at the beginning of the service, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. That's an old English use of the word is, which means he has come and he's still coming. And so I say to you today, If you assemble with us and you are lonely because there's someone not at the table that was there last year, or this has been a tough year, or you've made some grave mistakes, he is coming to you. And then here's the other good news. Today, not only is he coming to you, but you can go to him. Listen to Hebrews 4. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. Jesus can do more than sympathize. He can empathize. But we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are. Do you realize Jesus was tempted? Just let that statement fall on your mind for a few moments. Jesus was tempted. There were moments in his life where something in him was drawn to do something wrong. So when you're tempted, don't think when you go to Jesus he can't understand it. He can understand it. Now, what makes him different is just as we are, yet he did not sin. So what does that mean to you and I? Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This means that you can go to him. And I don't care what's bothering you today. I don't care where you're hurting or where you're struggling. You cannot go to Jesus and, and, and bear that to him and tell him about that where he shakes his head and goes, you know, I'd love to help you, buddy, but I just don't get that. I don't understand that. I've never been there. My friends, Jesus has been here from the cradle to the grave, and he understands everything you and I are going through. And because of that, the good news today is that you can go boldly to him. 
Now, friends, we are talking about hope has arrived. Jesus has come. He is coming. He's coming to you right now. He may have you in this building right now on Christmas Eve because he wants to come into your heart. He is coming, and you can go to him. And that brings us to our last point. The manger was the first step on the road to Calvary. You ask, after his birth, how low can he go? Well, let me tell you, he can go a lot lower. He can go lower than a manger. He takes a road from the manger to Calvary. He descends from something that's surprising and shocking to something that's embarrassing and humiliating. He keeps going down. Philippians describes the journey. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Do you notice the stair steps down in those verses? He goes even lower than the manger. He's willing to go to the cross. Why death on the cross? Because he enters into our humanity. He becomes one of us so that he might rescue us. And so I want you to think about that as we prepare to go to the tables in just a moment. I'll ask the praise team to come on up here and join me on stage. This morning, um, as we begin to close out our service, we're going to do it in a very wonderful way. It's so great to see this place just jam-packed with people. I apologize to some of you who hadn't been able to find a seat or have had to search for a seat. But as we close, I want you to stay with us because this close is going to be so strong. There are tables scattered about the worship center. And there's probably going to be a little bit of a line there. But I want you to go to that table and I want you to remember that journey that Jesus made from the cradle to the grave. That Jesus made from a feeding trough to a cross. And, and partake of the bread and partake of the cup. And while you're there at the table, every table has plenty of candles. This year we have electric candles. It's a great idea, okay? We may not singe your hair like we did last year, all right? But we want you to, to, as you go to the table and contemplate this, then to come start making circles around this stage. Just, you know, let's just pack it. Just go through the rows, and let's just all gather as a family. It's going to be a packed place. It's going to be beautiful. And let's have this candlelight service as we celebrate what Jesus has done, and that we celebrate that hope has truly arrived. If you have a prayer request through this time, either meet me on the front row or pass me a note. If today is the day that you can't get over a God, a God who would come so low that he'd be born of a virgin in an obscure village and laid in a barn in a feeding trough. If you can't get over that and you must come to him, understand you don't have to come to him with, you, with it together. He came into your mess so that when you come to him, you don't have to have it together because you can't get it together. He came to meet you in your mess and to deliver you. So if you need to respond to that, meet me up here too. 
You see, listen to me before I pray. The first wood that touched the back of Jesus was the wood of a manger. And the last wood that touched his back before he died was a cross. And he did it all for you. How else could we respond but like the angels in worship? Nothing else would be appropriate. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for the way your son Jesus came. God, we thank you that everything communicates, Lord. Everything communicates. And that even as we just focused on one piece of furniture in this story, that it told us so much about you and your love for us and what you were willing to go through for us, and that this manger led to a cross where you gave your life for us, your son gave his life for us. And Lord, as we partake of this bread and this cup, may we embrace what that means. And may we embrace this not as a symbol of death, but of, of, of the life that he purchased for us, Father. And God, may we take it in. And God, as we remember the story from the cradle to the grave, God, May we then gather around here in a beautiful candlelight time and just praise you with all of our hearts. What other response would be appropriate? You are an amazing God. This is an amazing story. We could have never thunk it up on our own. We could have never conceived that you would be that loving, that caring, that lowly, that willing to descend to where we are, to take us where you are. Thank you that hope has arrived. May it arrive in each of our hearts today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.